Hello, everybody. Jace here. I just wanted to tell you about a fantastic creator-owned project that's going on right now. It's over at zoop.gg. It's called Axe Wielder John, and it's the brainchild of the incredibly talented comic creator, Nick Patera. It's a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power. Uh, this is a chance for Nick to really tell a story, no holds barred, drawing inspiration from some of his favorite comic creators like Frank Quietly and Mobius. It's a story that's very close to his heart. If you've listened to the podcast interview I did with Nick, he talked about being inspired by some challenges that his family faced when his first daughter was born and how coming up with this Axe Wilder John character really helped him and his family get through that time. Even though he's a barbarian, even though it's filled with the blood and guts and barbarian action that Nick Patera loves, Axe Wilder John is a much more complicated character than that, and this is a much more complicated story. There's a lot of love to go with the action. So the campaign is already fully funded. I highly recommend you all go check it out at zoop.gg.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. SJ. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for April 27th, 2022. Again, apologies. It's going to be like this for a few weeks, unfortunately. A lot of travel for the day job. This hotel room has no carpet. It's very echoey. So uh, I apologize for the quality of the sound. It's trying to find a way to like build up pillows around me to keep from having the echo, but it uh, didn't work out. So, uh, and it's a lot more challenging to do things just on my laptop as opposed to my nice setup at home with my soundboard and whatever. So I know I didn't get all the social media out today, but it'll be out tomorrow. My thoughts on the DC books, uh, had to run solo on that last night, but if you're curious, it was a big week for DC with the death of the justice league and uh, a few other series wrapping up shadow war, the crossover between Deathstroke and Batman is continuing the end of the trial of the Amazons, the end of the Aquaman, uh, Green Arrow deep target storyline. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great DC stuff. So go check that out on the episode that came out yesterday for the DC Spotlight. And yeah. So anyway, Jay and I are going to talk about a few of the books that came out today. Reminders, if you do go listen to that DC stuff, there are spoilers that get into the nitty gritty story beats and um, thoughts about uh, how the story is going, art, very uh, deep analysis, as opposed to this new comics Wednesday that we keep spoiler free. So you get a chance to go and read the books for yourself. We'll just talk about what we thought of them. Kind of, you know, do we like them? Do we not like them? What our feelings were? So we got 12 books to cover and then I'll give a rundown on some other titles that are coming out today that you might want to be on the lookout for. So with all that being said, I'm going to kick it over to Jay for his first book. Uh, it's a big one. I think there's about 27,000 different covers because hashtag Marvel. It's a new Amazing Spider-Man number one. It's from writer Zeb Wells. John Romita Jr. is making his return to Marvel on a book where he's had some pretty long, uh, long runs, pretty lengthy runs, uh, sort of defined the era. 
I didn't mind his, his first long run. Um, but man, his last one was sort of after his art kind of jumped a jumped a shark for me, a little too blocky, but uh, I didn't actually mind his art in this one. It was, it was solid. He's got uh, inks by Scott Hanna, Marcio Menez handles the colors and Joe Caramagna is on letters. So what'd you think of this one? Uh, Jay, it was uh, 40 pages. So at least you got a big chunk of story. Yeah, I guess you get your money's worth on this one. <laughs> so it just starts off just kind of crazy. I guess we're doing, uh, we're talking about it earlier. I guess we're doing like a time jump, but uh, six months. A month. Yeah. So it seems like everybody is like pretty much uh, done with Peter at this point. Like everybody's upset with him from Aunt May, his best friend. And there's some issues going on with uh, his love interest. And it's just like, wow. So I don't know what he did or what's going on, but uh, everybody's kind of kind of perturbed with him. The best part about the story, like we we're talking before, was the ending. I was like, "What?" So I want to give it away, but if you're a Spider-Man fan, I think you'll uh, be excited for this. It'd be, uh, it'd be fun. Like I said, just the ending was kind of a surprise. I want to see, see how that turned out. Because <laughs> only yeah. been six months, so it's like, what happened here? <laughs> if you're a Spider-Man fan, you're either going to be really intrigued, or you're going to be mildly annoyed to extremely pissed off. I don't know that there's <laughs> a lot of Spider-Man fans that are just going to go read it and just not really have a reaction and go, meh. Um, yeah, right. the six-month time jump, and, and it's not that people are upset with Peter, like, they are pissed. Everybody from, like, you know, this has been this has been how Marvel's been marketing it. You know, Pete did something that they don't like, and even Aunt May, you know, he always stands behind him and has his back, is pissed off at him. Mary Jane is mad at him. The Fantastic Four are mad at him. Uh, like, everybody, he's, he's a pariah, and this is what I kind of annoys me about it is the fact that it's so obvious that everybody knows what Peter did, but nobody's mentioning it. Nobody's talking about it because they don't, they don't want to give any context to the readers. So it feels a little bit like a forced mystery, you know, um, it doesn't feel natural. And I get that you, you know, you're, you're trying to hook people, but this is amazing Spider-Man. This is your number one selling title. People are going to pick it up. People are going to buy it. People are going to read it. You don't need to try to create some, you know, artificial hook to get people in. So not a big fan of that. I'm also not a big fan of the rendering that JRJR gives the main villain in the book. I don't know how much that's been spoiled, so I won't say who it is, but it seems like he's going to, the, the villain's going to have a big, long arc. He's not a villain I, I particularly care much for in the first place. And then to see him drawn like this, where he looks, he looks different than he's ever been drawn before. It just yeah, you're you're right. I had to I had to look twice ago. That's not the same character. It's like no, yeah, that's, that's not look, him. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't look, look like him at all. It doesn't look the right age. Doesn't. So no. whatever. I mean, it, it's amazing, Spider Man. I'm still gonna buy it. I am curious as the next person be like, what the hell did Pete do to piss everybody off? So <laughs> uh, what I hope it, it doesn't turn out to be something dumb that feels like really out of character for Pete because I mean, he's such a heroic guy. So willing to self-sacrifice. So I don't know. It feels, it feels a little wonky to start off. I won't lie. So I guess we'll see how that plays out. Uh, okay. First book I'm going to talk about is from Aftershock. It's the lion and the eagle. This is the next to last issue. It's issue number three. It's from writer Garth Innes. PJ Holden is the artist. Uh, I've talked a lot about this book. Uh, each specific issue. Um, it tells the story of this group of British soldiers who, along with some Chinese and 
Indian allies, and by Indian, I mean people from India, not like American Indians. And they're in Burma, and they're outnumbered, and they're surrounded by Japanese forces, and their supplies are dwindling, and they're cut off, and the uh, their allies are giving, sending them less and less supply. And it's all based on a true story. And it's, it's an interesting story. It's, you know, it's World War II. Nobody does World War II. Nobody does war comics better than Garth Ennis. The PJ Holden art, while not maybe as gritty or visceral as you might expect art to be in a war comic, the storytelling is still really, really top notch. And uh, again, when you talk about Garth Ennis and a war comic, uh, and he's, you know, this isn't just any war comic, you know, he's not just writing about American troops or whatever. These are, these are British troops and these are, you know, Indian troops from a British occupied India. So when it comes to the scripting and the dialogue and the vocabulary, all of it is very, 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 very authentic. It's just a great story. Uh, the campaign in Burma, the, the campaign um, in Asia, as far as World War II, it's it's not really covered. Everybody focuses on on Europe, and not necessarily on um, the campaigns in Africa or uh, or Asia. And so it's nice to see that some of the heroes that uh, gave their lives and and fought very valiantly in those theaters are getting their due as well. The Pacific Theater is another one. Uh, everybody knows the Battle of Midway, but other than that, a lot of people can't uh, name very many battles in the Pacific. So um, anyway, it's, it's definitely worth reading. Uh, it's another quality book from Aftershock. A lot of Garth Ennis's war comics are coming out through them now, and I definitely recommend it. So check it out if you're into that sort of thing. And, uh, and like I said, it's, a, it's definitely an under, an under, I don't want to say underreported, but um, it's just not as notable of a, of a theater that, uh, the battle in Burma. But again, that doesn't mean there weren't heroic people. It doesn't mean they don't deserve to have their story told. So, uh, okay. Up next, another one of Jay's favorite Marvel titles, Alien. Uh, this is from writer Philip Kennedy Johnson. We have art by Salvador La Roca. Colors are by Guru EFX. Clayton Cowell is on letters. We are up to issue number 11. Uh, yeah, the shit is really hitting the fan now. These uh, these uh, spinners, as they're called, they're sort of like futuristic Quakers who have their own ideas about technology and whatnot. And they've been sent out by um, the corporation to, to colonize this planet. But come to find out, maybe the corporation um, was sending them out there knowing that it was going to go one of two ways. Either they weren't going to survive to terraform the planet, or if they did survive to terraform the planet, they likely wouldn't survive what was out there anyway, namely xenomorphs. So either way, the corporation wins. Um, they don't, they're not out any expenses or manpower or resources if the colony fails. And if the colony is successfully established, but then the colonists are taken out by the xenomorphs, then the corporation basically gets a free, gets a free colony. They just got to go in and clean out the xenomorphs. So that's kind of where the setup has been for the story so far. Um, so what do you think of this issue, Jay? Oh, it's true. It's like uh, the house always wins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh, it's been a fun run. 
Right, like the last uh, few issues, we know that uh, Jane's the leader of the spinners, and she's trying to lead them to a way to escape this place. But it seems like every time they find uh, some kind of uh, hiding place or somewhere to go to, has always been overrun by the Z- the xenomorphs, like like you said. This is a really good issue because uh, we see how you know that they're just still being hunted down by the xenomorphs and trying to get to this uh, new like sanctuary type area to get some help. They get the help, but you know. Aliens being an alien story, you know, things go uh, wrong fast. And the uh, ending on this is kind of like, oh, that's kind of, that kind of stinks. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, but it's been fun. I want to see the next issue. And like I said, the ending on this was pretty uh, kind of like, you got to be kidding me. And after all that, come on. Yeah. What I thought about it was, yeah, how it, Philip Kennedy Johnson continues to not necessarily introduce new ideas. I mean, he does introduce some new ideas, but they're very nuanced. They're very small. Uh, but what he does is he takes ideas that are already in the aliens canon, and he's expanding on those ideas so well uh, and fleshing them out. So, you know, in the past, it's sort of been two factions. You know, you've had the humans and you've had the xenomorphs. There's hints of another faction. Um, and if you've ever seen the movie Alien, the first one, you may have an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, you may not. Um, but I love that Kennedy Johnson is taking some of the, the seeds that were planted in the movies and coming up with this third faction because uh, it's always a more interesting dynamic when you have a three-way war as opposed to just two sides. You know, it becomes much harder to decide which side are you on. Uh, okay, so up next, I'm going to talk about a extremely classic Marvel title um, with a fantastic main cover. One of my favorite kind of obscure characters that not enough people talk about, namely Jack of Hearts. And the series is Silver Surfer Rebirth. We're up to issue, I think this is issue number four. Uh, I'm not mistaken, yep, issue number four. It's written by Ron Lim. This is where the classic part comes in. Or sorry, it's written by Ron Mars, rather, with art by Ron so that old uh, classic Silver Surfer team's back teamed up. Speaking of team ups, we know that Silver Surfer and Thanos are teaming up in the store. So uh, we found out last issue, at the end of last issue, that Tyrant, who is a former Herald of Galactus, is the one who has the reality gem, and he's using it to sort of try to reshape reality in, in the way that he wants it to look. And that's what's causing all these ripples that Silver Surfer and Thanos are seeing. At the end of last issue, um, Silver Surfer was confronted by four other versions of himself. And so we get the resolution of that little battle. Uh, And it's great because Ron Lim does a fantastic job of changing his style to look like those other styles. So you have the Ron Lim Silver Surfer, who's the main one that we've been following. But you also see a Jack Kirby version of Silver Surfer. You see a John Buscema version of Silver Surfer. You see a Mobius version of Silver Surfer. And you see a Mike Allred version of Silver Surfer. Uh, and you think, you know, okay, it's just Norrin Rad. And he's just, you know, silver. And it's not like he has different costumes or whatever. So it's got to be a real challenge uh, to make them look different. But between different line weights and a little bit different style and a little bit different coloring, uh, the creative team uh, pulls it off really, really well. So I was really impressed with that. Uh, Don Ho, the inker, Israel Silva, the colorist. I mentioned the coloring a little bit different. 
then Joe Sabine on letters. All of it's done really, really well. Um, and this has just been a fun, nostalgic ride. But even without the nostalgia, even if you never read that classic um, Thanos run, Thanos Silver Surfer um, in the, the first go round for the runs, you can pick this up and uh, understand what's going on really, really easily. Uh, Action packed, not a super complicated story, but just a reminder that uh, when it comes to uh, both the scripting narrative and the visual narrative with these creators, they just work really, really well together. It's cosmic, it's big, it's bombastic, it's over the top, beautiful action, beautiful art, beautiful colors. Um, I'm really digging it. I, I, I feel like I don't hear enough people talking about how good this book is. So uh, speaking of really good books where the art has to do a lot of heavy lifting, uh, up next for Jay is Step by Bloody Step. This is the story by Cy Spurrier. Art is by Matias Bergara. Colors are by Matias Lopez. Graphic design by Emma Price. This is a book that continues to have almost no dialogue. Even when there is dialogue, it's it's in like this alien language, alien alphabet. So it's all about sort of the, um, the cinematography of the art and the uh, visual directing that Cy Spurrier, you know, is saying, okay, Matias Bergara, in this panel, we want it to show this or that or whatever, but I'm sure Matias is uh, having a lot of input as well. So again, one of those comics that's, that's silent that shows the power of the medium because the story is being told in pictures. Um, so what do you think of this one, Jay? So far, it's been pretty good. Uh, it's pretty much about a little girl has had protectors like a giant... Uh armored robot i guess you would say i'm not sure it's a robot or not but it's a mechanical being this is protective of the child but we see the child grow uh, get older and the last issue we know that there's more than just them in the story we just didn't really see another i guess humans i guess you would say uh but in this one we know she's older now um and she's still with her protector but we see other characters now we know that there's a, a king and there's an empire but we see that uh, the king is very manipulative. You know, he, you know, how he tries to trick the girl and trick the, uh, the her guardian. Like I said, there's no words, but the artwork is, uh, is beautiful. Um, you can see the facial expressions. You know what's going on. You can tell us, you know, they're gasping or they're happy or they're sad or there's just traumatic uh, scenes going on. But nothing is, uh, appears to what to, it seems, I guess, in the story, because uh, we're not just sure what the girl is capable of. We know the king is not a good king. Uh, the ending is kind of like, uh, you know, like what the hell's going on moment because, you know, um, the kind of the king kind of tricks the uh, the guardian as well in the story. But I enjoy the artwork. And like I said, there's no words, but it's just a good book. Yeah, I still haven't had a chance to check it out because I, I ta I've talked about this before, but a, a word with or a book with fewer words actually takes me longer because I have to go and analyze the art as opposed to letting some of the scripting do some of the heavy lifting. Um, you know, people probably think it's the other way around. Oh, it's easier to make a book with, you know, without words because you don't have to write anything, but it's actually tougher because the art has to do all of the work. So, Oh, definitely. Yeah, we'll get to it at some point. Uh, okay, up next for me, I have uh, Scumbag. We're up to issue number 13 of this. It's written by Rick Remender. The art in this issue is by Roland Boshi. Colors by Marino... Denicio and letters by Russ Wooten. This was sort of an interesting issue. We know that the, um, 
the Scorpius clan was able to roll back everything that happened with um, with Ray's you know beam that went down and changed Earth into this debauched sort of alternate dimension. And Scorpius has rolled it back to where everything is like the fifties. It's all about misogyny and uh, keeping you know straight white guys in power. And uh, at the end of last issue. Um, the uh, the organization that gave Ray his powers tried to tried to take it back. They tried to to kill him basically to assassinate Ray, and so he's sort of in hiding. It was only through the intervention of the the robot ally that was created uh, to be an infiltration device, and then one of Ray's conditions to go work for this uh, spy organization was that they had to convert that robot into a sex sex bot for him. Uh, even though the robot refused to have sex with, um, but we we learn in this issue why the robot did what it did, why it saved Ray. We see a side of Ray that we haven't seen before, which is really interesting. And you know, when the series started out, Ray was like really unlikable, but almost so unlikable to the point of going so far that he felt like such a cartoon figure that you sort of rooted for him, even though he was a complete scumbag that, you know, that's where the name of the, of the book comes in. Um, So seeing him back into a corner, seeing him scared, seeing the choices he makes in this issue, uh, he, he's definitely being taken on a journey by Rick Remender. And it's not necessarily a journey that you might've expected him to take. And I'm not saying at the end of the series that Ray is going to be somehow redeemed because I don't think that's the point. Um, but man, is this a really, really fun issue. Uh, and this is a series where after I'd read the first issue, like I, the, part of the only reason I picked up the first issue is because it was Louis LaRosa art. And then he left the book and I was like, eh, I'm probably not even going to read it, but um Remender has managed to make uh, Ernie Ray Johnson, who you would think is just this one-dimensional character, he's managed to make it much more complicated, much more interesting than that. I won't go so far as to say he's relatable, at least not to me, um, but uh, pretty interesting. And there's only one issue left. This is the the next to last issue. At the end of this issue, we're told that uh, this story is to be concluded in the next issue. So it is a, it is a fun ride. Uh, okay, up next for Jay, another Aftershock book. It's Bylides in Blood, number four. This is the final issue of this series, written by Erica Schultz and Van Jensen. Aneki is the artist. Cardinal Ray does the letters. Uh, so how would you feel about this? Did it uh, conclude in a satisfactory way for you? Yeah, I like the story. Like I said, it's just got that uh, mystery Noor with uh, Stea, you know, trying to uh, find out who killed her friend, um, the editor for the paper you used to uh, work for but like i say it was just a they never tell you what i like about the story is they don't tell you like, like what year or century they're in but you know a lot of stuff is you know high tech uh because of all the material and the weaponry that's going on from the last issue she was trained for uh, for murder but there's people that know that she didn't do it because they were there with her when it when it went down so she's pretty much trying to clear her name in this issue um and take down the uh the person that's behind pulling the strings so to speak it ends kind of good. They tie it up at the, all the end pretty nice. You know, they tie it all up. 
but uh, I don't know if we're going to get another series because, you know, she's still, you know, uh, that, you know, for hire, you know, she's a private detective. So, you know, it starts off, you know, the ending is like, you know, it's another case coming. So are we going to get more uh, of her or not? I, I hope we do because I do enjoy the character. And I do like the story. Yeah. It's so interesting how it started off. Uh, we talked about it. You can go back and listen. We talked about the first issue just about how media has changed. Journalism has changed so much in the last few years, the perception of it. And it's almost like in order to get at the truth, you can't even be a journalist. You got to, you have to break the rules because the, it seems like society and the people in power are stacking against the deck against people that, that are seeking the truth and, and want the truth to be, to be out there. So Although that was very present at the beginning, it became something sort of in the back, in the background of the story, the last couple of issues, which has allowed us to have a lot of great action, which is really fun. But this idea of, of truth, this idea of those in power hiding things and um, manipulating the system and taking advantage of those less pri- privileged and those with less power, that, that stayed a theme through. So I thought it was done really, really well. I thought the art by Anarchy, who also did the colors, was also solid, especially for the amount of action and big uh, story beats and big uh, action beats in this uh, in this issue. It all landed really, really well. So very impressed. And I, I definitely would read more of, uh, of Sacha's uh, story if, if we get more in the future. Uh, OK, up next for me, Newburn. We're up to issue number six. This is from creators Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips. Zdarsky, a little more on the writing side, Phillips a little more on the art side, but a fantastic story nonetheless. This is the first one that doesn't feel like a standalone. We get a lot of background into Newburn's partner uh, and kind of see how she got to where she is (laughs) at such a low place in her life that she uh, had to agree when Newburn offered her a position. I can't really say much more about it than that. Uh, without giving anything away, but uh, it does jump around. It goes from 2022 to 2016, and I think all the way back to 2000 and, uh, 2006 at one point. So, uh, yeah, it definitely jumps around, but it's easy to follow. There's big, giant, like, whole pages where it says, you know, 20, whatever, and, and it gives it a year. Um, I just really lo- love this story. It's so fascinating to me. Uh, I get, you know, it is called Newburn, but he doesn't really show up in this issue, but for like half a panel. Um, but we get plenty of his, his partner. And, and like I said, that's that's really interesting uh, as well. So uh, there is a backup also. Um, it's part two. Uh, we've had some some other backups in, in the first four issues. Now, this is part two of uh, of this backup, which is called Spookorama. It's written by Casey Gilly. The art is by Sue Lee. Letters by Tobin Rassiso. And uh, I really enjoy it. It's a story about a girl whose best friend who she worked with was killed. um, And she feels like she's the only one smart enough to solve it because the police don't seem to care. And they don't really seem to be taking it seriously. It is in black and white with some grayscale. I I love that Zdarsky's giving some voice and some uh, page space to, you know, up and coming creators whose names are not known. Um, And this is quality work. 
really, really quality. And it fits in with the crime noir feel of, uh, of the main Newburn story as well. So, uh, okay, up next for Jay, we have Punisher number two, The King of Killers, book one, chapter two, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceta, colors by Dave Stewart, Corey Petit does the letters. Uh, I really enjoyed this, the big... Um, cliffhanger or big uh, reveal at the end of issue. Again, we didn't spoil it when we talked about issue one, but we can now Um, (laughs) at the end of issue one, we see the reason that Frank Castle has agreed to work with the hand is that they have brought his wife, Maria back to life. She's got the bullet holes or scars, I guess you'd say on her cheek, on her, on her back, her stomach, just all over her face. But the hand, yeah, they brought her back to life, much like they did uh, Electra at one point. And so that has uh, inspired Frank to become the leader of the hand. Um, so, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting take. Um, I will say that I wish Jesus Saez did all the art for the book, because while I appreciate the visual tone shift, when Paul Azaceta does the art, I just don't enjoy it as much as the Jesus Saez art, which is very cinematic and almost has a, like a soft feel, which I think is great when you're talking bloody action to, you know, you don't expect to see that soft sort of painted art. I think it works really well, but anyway, your book, Jay, what do you think about it? <laughs> no, it's a good book. It's like I said, the artwork is uh, pretty, um, pretty awesome. And uh, hey, you're right. We fit to see why, you know, the Punisher, you know, decided to do it and I guess his whole life he's been doing it for her. So I guess, Hey, if you can get her back, why not? You know, I mean, he's, he's a master of a skill. And that's why one of the reasons why they, you know, they say they got him was because, you know, he is great at killing, even though he doesn't want to admit to it. It's like, you know, he knows, he knows how to do it. He does a lot of trouble. I like about this one is there's a lot of training going on as they're teaching, you know, Frank, how to, you know, be a uh, better, well, I guess, sword wielder instead of being with the guns. It's just, there's a lot of blood and guts for a Marvel comic, which is kind of fun. We get some uh, the flashbacks uh, for Frank in this, which is kind of interesting as, as a kid. And I guess uh, the hand has a new enemy, and uh, Frank, I guess, is being Frank. You know, isn't going to accept it. Just the the inner, I guess, the the meeting between, I guess, the uh, the person representing the, the the new villain in the story is just crazy how he tries to uh, do his little thing with a, with a gun. It was just, it's good. If you, you pick up the comic, it's bloody and it's good. <laughs> if you like that kind of stuff with old Frank, because that's definitely a Punisher story with all the, the gore in it. But the ending was like the best part because we see how much of a, I guess, a badass this person that he's going to have to face eventually. <laughs> but it's a fun series so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think people, they heard, oh, Frank Castle, member of the hand, going to use swords instead of guns. They're going to change his symbol. And everybody's like, oh, Marvel's trying to get political and get away from using guns and that uh, symbol that's become associated with right-wing propaganda, militia, whatever. And there might be some truth to that, but, I mean, Jason Aaron's telling a fantastic story. It doesn't, like, in story, it doesn't feel like a big stretch to see him learning to use swords or, you know, having a different symbol now that he's, I think it all works. Plus, they'll go back to the old symbol eventually. 
Oh, yeah, just give it time. Yeah. Uh, okay, up next for me is Rogue Son, number three. This is from writer Ryan Parrott. Abel is the artist. Francesco Mortarino is the backup artist. Chris O'Halloran does the colors. Becca Carey on letters. It's just a fantastic story, you know. The story, if you're not familiar, of, of a bully. Like, instead of Peter Parker getting powers, what if it's Flash Thompson, right? This kid who, uh, his parents got married young, and then his dad left when he was very, very young, and went and became a hero, superhero, and had a family and made all kinds of money and had a, a much greater life while he and his mom struggled. And he didn't know his dad was you know, the superhero called Rogue Son, and then his dad dies, and his dad doesn't leave the, the power of Rogue Son to his uh, daughter or son from his second family. He leaves it to his son from his first family. Uh, we're learning why and what he expects from his first son, because there's a part of him that's embedded in the in the artifact that, that powers the, the rogue son hero. So even though he died, he's still around. He's like a hologram, you know, like Al from quantum leap. <laughs> and he's giving his son uh, instructions like, Hey, here's how you're going to solve my murder. But the son doesn't even want the dad there. You know, he, he wasn't even really his dad because he wasn't a part of his life. He's a biological father. That's about it. Plus the kid's a smart ass and a bully and has his own issues anyway. And so um, Ryan Parrott does character work very, very well. And I, I, he's, it's no exception here. We know he's going to take this kid on a journey um, and we're going to see growth and we're going to see some real um, character interaction and family drama uh, with some really awesome superhero fights. And that's what we've seen so far. Uh, last issue, Rogue Son fought this, in, in this world of Rogue Sun, there are like these werewolf vampire hybrids. They're werewolves. They can only come out at night, can't be in the sun, super powerful. Um, and we learn where those sort of villains and, and monsters go after they've been captured. You can't throw them in a regular prison. And we also see a lot of betrayals in this uh, or hints of betrayals or hints about who killed the father and who hired the killer of the father who was the original Rogue Sun. So there's a lot of different plot threads. Ryan Parrott's definitely keeping us guessing. The art by Abel is really dynamic, very angular uh, superhero art, a lot of uh, long lines, a lot of uh, points um, in the costumes and uh, in the fights with the powers and whatnot, but much softer, rounder, more natural lines when they're out of costume. So that works really well also. Um, I mean, if you're not reading this, I don't know. It's crazy. It's not maybe quite as over the top as, uh, as radiant black is, you know, that, that, which is another fantastic superhero book. It's coming out right now from Kyle Higgins and rogue Sun and radiant black have already had a crossover, obviously in the super massive one shot. And they're definitely in the, in the same universe. And we'll probably see other crossovers in the future. Ryan and, and Kyle are friends. This is a feels much more organic, feels much more grounded than radiant black. Um, it doesn't feel so big in scope not to say it doesn't feel like a superhero book because it does. Um, but again, it's just by rooting it in this family dynamic, this family drama, it makes it feel much more intimate and, uh, and interesting. So I'm really digging it. I encourage you guys all to check it out. Uh, okay. Up next for Jay, 
Naughty list number one. This is from writer Nick Santora. Lee Ferguson is the artist. Pippa Boland does the colors uh, along with Wancho. And Simon Boland handles the letters. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, the name of the book is The Naughty List. And the guy on the cover is wearing a Santa hat. So I don't think we're spoiling by saying this is a, a different look at the legend of Santa Claus. So what do you think, Jay? Oh, I really did enjoy this book. I was actually looking forward to it. So I'm glad it's the first one I read. <laughs> this is my book of the week because it's just uh, uh, a, the story is told by St. Nick. And it's, it's great because it shows, you know, uh, how he started doing this and why or what caused him to become, you know, this, this uh, fictional character. But there's a lot of heartache and uh, during his life to get to that point. And um, we find, you know, it's nobody, he can't, because of who he is, he can't ever like die, <laughs> which is no spoiler. They tell you that when you read the preview thing, but it's just uh, everyone around him doesn't, you know, so it's kind of a uh, sad and the reason it's called Naughty List is because there's uh, it took a while for that to happen in, in his uh, Santa's life to get a Naughty List because he knew everybody wasn't good. <clears throat> so something happens at the end of the story, which uh, brings the title Naughty List. And it doesn't bother him at first. He could care less because he's getting tired of doing this. But he gets to the point where he's like, you know, I got I got to do something. And there's a lot of adult language in it. Uh, it's not for kids. <laughs> But it's just a really, really good, solid, a fun book. So I'm looking forward to see what uh, this, you know, badass Santa is going to do in the next issue. Yeah, this is so fantastic. What I like about it is, you know, we've had stories about Santa before, whether it's bad Santa with um, Billy Bob Thornton or, um, you know, sleigh bells or something like that. Sleigh bells from Bad Idea, uh, where Santa kind of, go, you know, goes off or, or, you know, somebody pretending to be Santa, you know, ball Santa. Um, this is Santa going about to go off, uh, but in a different way because he doesn't look or talk or act anything like Santa would. Um, but that's part of the fun and it's, it, and it makes sense when you read the story. So it's my book of the week also. Um, I just think it's a brilliant idea and, uh, it's narrated in the first person by this character who's, whose existence basically gave rise to the legend of Santa Claus. Um, but it, he's sort of given us the, his origin and the backstory, but I think next issue, it's really going to pick up in terms of action. Not to say there wasn't some action in this one, um, but I expect a hell of a lot more in the next one. So oh, for definitely, sure. definitely looking forward to it. Uh, okay. Up next for me, last book, Bloodstained Teeth, number one from Image Comics. I hope you all picked this up. I hope you all pre-ordered it. I hope you all listened to my, interview with the creative team uh, a few weeks ago uh story creator by christian ward art creator patrick reynolds colors by heather moore letters by hassan atzman elhow it's this idea that vampires are the ruling class are the one percent but anybody that they bite and turn they call them sips s-i-p and they're they're the lower class right and um, it's just this idea of the haves and have-nots. And uh, the main character is named Sloan, and he's kind of a jerk purposefully, but 
you kind of root for him because he's going up against the, the man, you know, he's going up against the establishment, even though the establishment is the rules of these old vampires and the way they want to keep power. And, uh, you know, when Christian Ward came on the show, he talked a lot about, you know, these people that have lived forever, they have tons of money and all this power and playing off this idea that if you look at what happened in our own world during the pandemic, when the people that the, the richest 1% got that much richer, you know, they got exponentially richer while the rest of us suffered. And it's, it's like they're living off our backs um, the way the vampires are living off um, the backs of the sips and regular humans in, uh, in this story. It's like, what if vampires didn't just, you know, feed off the blood of society, but fed off the wealth and the money of society as well. Uh, so it's a fantastic story. You can read it on that deeper level, or you can just read it as this crazy, horrific uh, horror story. The colors by Heather Moore are not what you would expect at all. And I really think that's where the, the artwork shines. Not that Patrick Reynolds' line work isn't fantastic, but uh, the way Heather Moore has colored this, there are these really bright, vibrant pinks and reds and blues and yellows and greens that pop off the page. And normally when you think about a vampire book, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be dark and muddy and moody. And this is not that at all, but it's no less um, treacherous in feel and in narrative. Um, these characters feel no less menacing for being brightly colored. If anything, it almost makes them kind of more menacing because you can see them so clearly uh, and they're so clearly dangerous. So highly, highly recommended. Um, I almost gave this my, my book of the week as well, but uh, I, I went with um, Naughty List just because we, we hadn't given that one much attention previous to this. And, uh, but this, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one of those books. They're, they're both fantastic. So let me give a rundown on some other titles you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, we talked about all the Aftershock books. Uh, if we look at AWA, we have Fourth Man, number four of four, and Hotel, volume two, number five of five. So they have two series coming to an end there. Berserker, which is the Keanu Reeves book from Boom, number eight of 12. Something is Killing the Children is up to issue number 22. Uh, over at Dark Horse, we have the second print version uh, of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's We Have Demons. That's number two. There's also a, an awesome foil cover version. Again, you can check out all the DC books on yesterday's episode. Action Comics number 1042, Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target number seven of seven, Aquaman number three, Batman Beyond the White Knight number two of eight from Sean Murphy, Dark Knights of Steel number six of 12 from Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. That book I, I don't know where that book is going. It, it constantly feels like it's shifting and I can't predict it. And uh, I'm enjoying that in a good way. Um, Deathstroke Incorporated number eight continues the Shadow War. Uh, Detective Comics is up to number 1059. We have Harley Quinn number 14. Uh, Joker number 14, next to last issue of that title from James Tynan uh, with art by Giuseppe Camincola, which, man... I'm going to be sad to see that book go because it's been so good. Uh, Death of the Justice League and Justice League number 75. Uh, we have uh, Robin number 13, which is also uh, a tie-in to the Shadow War. 
Rogues, number 204, which is a black label book telling the, the final rogue story from Joshua Williamson, art by Leo Max. Uh, Swamp Thing, number 12 of 16 from Ram V and Mike Perkins. Uh, Teen Titans Academy, number 14, is the next to last issue of that book. And then finally, Trial of the Amazons, number two of two, which finishes off of that uh, event. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, we have uh, Ghost Cage, number two of three, Gunslinger Spawn, number seven, Hell Cop, number six. And the book a lot of people will probably be looking for, Saga, number 58 from Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn. At Marvel, there's a few other books uh, that we also didn't talk about. In addition to the thousand covers for Amazing Spider-Man number one, we have Carnage number two from Ram V. We have Hulk Grand Design Madness number one, which is a continuation of the first Hulk Grand Design book from Jim Rugg. Knights of X number one from Leah Williams, which is a continuation of the Excalibur series from Marvel. Uh, we also have Sabretooth number three of five, Silk number four, Star Wars Crimson Rain number four of five, Thor number 24, which is also the 750th issue of Thor and is a big giant oversized issue, uh, which I think is like seven or eight bucks. So it's, uh, it's definitely not cheap uh, at, let's see, I thought there was one other thing that I wanted to mention. Yeah, here we go. Vault Comics Shadow Service number 11, art by Corin Howe, written by, um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank on his, uh, Kevin Scott. <laughs> he was just on the show not too long ago, blanked on his name for a second. That's a, I, I got a chance to read that book early and it's, it's very, very good, uh, as well. Uh, basically about, um, kind of a, a secret sort of like a CIA or an MI6, but for the supernatural, the world of super, uh, supernatural things, monsters and demons and all that sort of thing, magic wielders. So highly recommend that. Uh, anything I missed you want to give a shout out to Jay? Yeah, I guess Gal Comics has the issue number four of We Don't Kill Spiders. That's uh, the, like it's back in the Viking village and there's a serial murder going on. They have to get help from witches. And if you know about history, Vikings and witches don't get along. But in this one, they have to work together to try to figure out what's what's going on. It's been a fun uh, series. So I definitely would. Uh, if you like that kind of uh, Viking type stories, that's definitely worth it. Um, from writers or artists, writers, we got the fourth man, number four. I think this is the last issue, but it's just a. Uh, by murder mystery that's uh but based on a, a true crime story and that's actually been a fun ride and it does keep you guessing i guess that we'll find out exactly who's actually the one pulling the strings and doing all these murders but those are two books i definitely look forward to all right well there you have it everybody um hope you all got a chance to get out your comic shop today or at least this week i will also mention you heard it at the beginning of the episode there is a campaign going on right now on zoop for a creator-owned comic from comic creator nick patera there's an episode that came out Tuesday where Nick talks in detail about how personal the project is to him. Uh, he gave me some behind the scenes stuff that's going to be revealed later, which is absolutely amazing. This book is so good. It's already fully funded. It funded in five hours. Nick Pateras art is amazing. This is the best thing he's ever done. He talks a lot in the interview about being inspired by his favorite comic artists, like Mobius and Frank quietly. Um, I just can't say enough good things. Go to zoop.gg, check it out. It's called Axe Wielder John. The guy's missing like the middle part of his face because of uh, things that have happened to him in the past battles he's been in. And he's this barbarian and it's Nick 
a terrorist. So you think, oh, he's going to be this unfeeling, bloodthirsty savage. And he sort of is, but he's also much more complicated than that. And when you hear Nick in the interview talk about the reasons uh, and when what was going on in his own personal life when he came up with the story, it makes a lot of sense. So I highly encourage everybody to go check it out. Probably by the time you hear this, they'll be sold out because they were only doing 50 and then they extended it to 100. But you remember those little muscle figures from back in the 80s? Those little like two inch tall little muscle plastic toys. They Nick got a guy, a toy designer to make 50 of them originally. And it went like that. And then he got him to do another one, but that's it. Um, but you, if you can get lucky and maybe there's still some left, stop the podcast right now and go over there, run over there to zoop.gg and, and see uh, if they're not all gone. But regardless, there's plenty of other fantastic tiers, stickers. I mean, I think he was asking for, I want to say like 20,000, 22,000. And last I checked, it was at 37,000. So he blew past it on the first day. There's no reason I think he's not going to hit a ton of stretch goals. So again, highly encourage everybody to go check it out. Nick Patera is a really great creator, really great guy, fantastically talented. And go listen to the podcast. Like it, it, I got a little choked up almost when he was telling me the story about his daughter. So uh, I think it's, it's fantastic. And I'll, I'll be reminding you guys periodically uh, how it's going and um, let you know when it's winding down, if you haven't had a chance to go pledge, but it's definitely worth two minutes to at least go and check it out. Uh, I've gotten a chance to, to read the first issue for the most part. He sent me um, a PDF and most of the pages were fully rendered, but there were a few where it was just, you know, real rough thumbnails. Um, but it's almost done. So by the time the campaign is done, the book will be done and they'll just have to send it off to the printer. <clears throat> so definitely go and check it out. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Appreciate you joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.